0: Hello, welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is Rick Alexander. Rick is an author, he's a speaker, he is the chief growth operator for the Special Forces Experience. This dude spent 12 years in the United States Navy. He worked as a special operations combat medic, he also ran 240 miles with body armor to raise money for charity. And in this episode, we talk all about adversity, meaning, growth mindset, how doing things that are difficult and challenging help you to identify who you truly are and what you truly desire. We talk about meditation as well. It's a good conversation. And he tells a couple crazy stories that uh, that are surely going to entertain And impress you wild times but I really do think you're gonna like this guy he's got a podcast he has a new book out called ambitious heroes and heartache and uh, yeah it's a good chat you're gonna dig it so without further ado Rick Alexander this episode is brought to you by cured nutrition Cured is the leader in CBD supplementation with an entire line of products designed to take your everyday life to its ultimate potential their daily staples are formulated with an in-house clinical herbalist which has taken the traditional cbd regimen to an entirely new level of optimization if you're anything like me you like waking up feeling good and living well you've probably toyed around with the idea of finding healthy alternatives to jumpstart your morning personally it's why i start my day with cured rise which is their focus supplement it's a powerhouse blend of functional mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps, broad-spectrum CBD, and powerful adaptogens. It gives me clean, clear, and sustained energy without any of the caffeine jitters or crash that I get with coffee. After I get going, Aura is next. It's another blend of functional mushrooms, CBD, and adaptogens, but it's got a twist We all know how important it is to sustain our immunity nowadays and this covers all of my bases the vitamin d prebiotics crucial antioxidants are delivered straight to the gut which is the foundation of our emotional and physical health am i right second brain it's where the majority of our serotonin production and immune function begin or it keeps everything in check performing at its best, so I have one less thing to worry about and I obviously cannot forget Zen. I use it every night. It is certainly why it has become Cure's number one selling relaxation and sleep product. You know the long nights spent tossing and turning? Yeah, not with this stuff. It has ingredients like reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, magnesium, passion flower, broad-spectrum CBD. So, thankfully, Restlessness is something of the past. Cured Nutrition products are your answer for a daily dose of health. Visit curednutrition.com. That's C-U-R-E-D, nutrition.com. Be sure to use the coupon code LOVEBOMBS, and at the checkout, you will save 10% off your order.
1: So, Rick Alexander, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man.
0: Yeah, we, um, we were just talking a little bit before about what we're going to talk about. But before we dive in, I'm curious if you could describe yourself a little bit for those who are listening that have no idea who Rick Alexander is or what you do or what you're about. Like, yeah, what's your deal?
1: Sure. Yeah, it's always my least favorite thing to do about my job. <laughs> it's the lamest question to ask, too, but it's it has to be done, got, right? Right, right. Um, so I, you know, I'm a speaker and a writer first and foremost. I love to kind of craft content based on the experiences in life that I've had. Uh, I also work as the chief growth operator for a company called the Special Forces Experience. So uh, I spent 12 years in special operations capacity in the military as a medic, and really. One, I found that job to be immensely satisfying, but I also spent the end of my career working training pipelines. And so I really got to experience the growth that happens in these sort of high pressure type situations. And I really got good at manipulating variables in order to create these growth experiences. And so, yeah, I really spent a lot of time sort of walking into adversity and, and writing about it and synthesizing it and thinking about it. Um, And so that's been the crux of my work for the last few years.
0: Yeah. And so when you say that you got really good at manipulating variables to create a growth experience, I picture you as like a evil puppet master of sorts of like, got to make this harder and got to tweak this dial a little bit. Is that fair?
1: yeah that that's like almost exactly right yeah like if you watch any of the sort of like i was a I was a buds instructor for a bit, and so if you watch these videos of these selection type training and the instructors are like irate or or yelling or kind of going flying off the handle, something worth considering is that it's actually there's a point to all of it, and if you can really understand what the point is, you know you you figure out how to apply pressure on the psyche in the right place in order to force growth experiences and you know there's we were talking before the show there's all these like paramilitary organizations out there that offer these selection type processes and essentially people pay a lot of money to go get the shit kicked out of them and so you've got to ask like why why is that right and so yeah i've, I've really made it my work to figure out why that is and get acutely good at doing it yeah
0: yeah i would love to dive into that a little bit more in depth and so you said buds maybe for those who have no idea what buds is or what special operations is could you provide a little bit of a primer and then we can start to unpack it
1: sure so so okay so buds is stands for basic underwater demolition or seal school in the Navy, there are two forms of special operations. So there's what SEAL, and then there's another form called SWIC. And so we go through a combined orientation program, and then y- they break off, and you go through your own sort of. It's it's a selection process. It's more adapted to the job that you're going to do. Um, so I did that. I was SWIC, and then uh, after a deployment of that, I actually went over to the Army. We have like a program you can do, and I went through the Green Beret medic course. And so Army Green Beret. It's like the Army special forces brand of the army and essentially in any kind of special operations capacity you work in really small teams and you tend to work in really austere environments and you um, are used for something like a swiss army knife you're used for jobs that are hard to get to with like big groups of infantry and stuff so um you know in my career I, i went to 57 different countries i trained other special forces from around the world so i had a really cool experience Seeing parts of the military that like you really wouldn't get to see in any other way, shape or you know shape or form.
0: Mm. Are you kind of like those? Like you'll hear a news article of like three SEALs killed in random country I've never heard of in years. Like what the heck was
1: going on there? Yeah. Thing. Sure. Yeah. Because because you have you're so small, um, the country can use you in ways that. They just can't use a, a really big force, you know. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you you were in fifty seven different countries. Totally. Yeah. Doing special operations missions, mm-hmm. working as a medic. Mm-hmm. So, t- like, tell me a story. I don't know. Like, there's got to be so much to that, right? I mean, what what was that like? I've never I've never met somebody who has. Been able to say that sentence about their life
1: okay Uh, yeah yeah it's interesting so it's a lot of training i'll be honest like the special forces are used in training capacities a lot so like what that looks like is we go live with another special forces from another country and we train them and like live with them um and so there's a lot of focus on learning foreign languages and really integrating in cultures which is a really cool aspect of it and because I was a medic and because I was a special operations trained medic, I actually could go into any country and then I would just sell myself because everybody always needs medics. And so I wasn't really stuck to who I deployed with. I'd go there and I'd be like, hey, I'm a medic and I'm bored if I had nothing going on. And like, I'd get to go on all these other sort of crazy missions like out in the world. So um, I do have a good story if you want it. Uh, in
0: No, it's fine. Okay. Like, this is not the time. No, of course. medic. <laughs>
1: In uh, my first book, Burn Your Couch, I read about this, but um, so this is interesting. So, first of all, something to know about special operations is that you know a, a huge percentage of people try to get through, and a very small percentage actually finish. So, in my class, we started with seventy six dudes, and we graduated fourteen originals. Um, it's just something worth considering, like the attrition rate. So, I am deployed to Africa. This is actually my final deployment and i'm laying in my hut at night and there's not really anything going on we're not like it's not there's not fighting or anything we're there training on a training mission and um this girl like knocks on my door it's like midnight or something and i'm i took a bunch of sleeping pills so i'm like super out of it and uh and uh i just keep she keeps pounding on my door so i like kind of stagger out and she's like kind of beside herself and she's like you, there, there was a plane crash and we need medics and i was like whoa okay so i'm like trying to like world is starting to whirl you know and I'm like taking stock I'm, like okay well she's like we'll come around with the truck so I run in grab my med bag so I'm wearing like cut off shorts a hoodie like what I would sleep in right just like throw a hoodie on with cut off shorts and uh, grab my med bag and like a huge fire extinguisher because I'm like I heard there was a plane crash so maybe I'll need that you know we get to the plane the airstrip and they're like it's not here you got to go further I'm like, man, what's going on? And I'm like talking to the people in the truck. So there's a couple other medics that were around base with me, not in the special forces uh, capacity, just kind of sort of like regular military medics, one from the army, one from the Navy. And uh, and then we had a, a Kenyan Air Force guy with us as well. So we're like kind of deducing what happened Well, a Kenyan Air Force plane crashes like completely goes down. and we get to the airstrip. They're like, it's not here. It's further. So then we go further down the road. We end up getting to a field where there's a bunch of abandoned cars and there's another Kenyan guy. And he's like, Hey, you got to go in further. You got to go in further. We're like, man, okay. So we don't have anything on me. Like I'm not, I have no gear except my med bag. So we start into the African jungle at like maybe 1am. And the African jungle you have to low crawl after a point because the trees grow up about three feet, but then they grow across and there's like, it's real thick. And so this goes on. We realize we don't have any communication. And so what's happening is the one Kenyan guy that's with us thinks he knows where it is. And so he's just yelling into the night, hoping the night will like yell back, right? Like somebody would be there. And then the only other thing is I had a radio to a plane overhead. And so I would just be like, Uh, what would happen is they would try to vector us into the crash site. So we'd be crawling for a while and then they'd fly overhead and we'd like turn left and then we'd crawl for a while and then they'd fly right and we'd like turn right and crawl for a while. So this deteriorates into us being like fully lost by like 4am. We're just, I'm like, okay, so if they're survivors, they're not survivors. My med bag keeps getting ripped open by like the pucker brush. So I've lost a ton of med equipment in the, in the night, you know, I'm also dragging this fire extinguisher. The two people around me start falling apart. Like the the dude starts praying and he's like, "Rick, I know you're not religious, man, but I'm going to pray for you too." And I'm like, "That's fine, but like we got to get out of here, you know?" The girl just really just breaks down, full on crying. And I had this interesting moment where it just hit me that you know, you arrive at these points in life and you never get to go back and get more prepared. You never go to get get more training. You can never go back and get more psychologically flexible. You know, whatever it is that you've brought with you up until this moment is what you get. And I had thought that selection prior to that was so stupid, like the yelling and like the trying to make you quit. And I was just like, it's a big game, this is all dumb. I'm gonna do it to pass, but like, I don't care. And it hit me in that moment how important the way that we prepare for our life actually is because there was two people, like grown adults, fully breaking down. Um, and of course, like we're in Africa, so it's the jungle, you know, there was, um, a Kenyan air force guy had gotten attacked like by a lion, like kind of free close to that. So they had all these memories and and stuff. So their, their psyche is really running away on them is what's happening. And plus they're overwhelmed by the chaos of not knowing where we are and getting more and more lost. And I had this moment of realizing like, this is a shit show, but it's fine. Like, I'm okay. I'm, I know Like we're going to be okay. And so just this moment of realizing like how, um, prepared I was, I don't know. It it really highlighted the fact of how important prior work and like taking, you know, learning to grow from the adverse experiences that we grow through go through actually are, um, we ended up finding the plane crash, um, I never tell the end of the story, which is why I'm telling it right now, but we we ended up finding a plane crash and one person was alive because he could maintain his own airway. Basically he crawled against the tree, had like 80, 85 ish percent burns on his body, but his airway was fine. Um, so we get him on a litter from the plane, uh, like a makeshift litter and low crawl, drag him like three hours out of there to a medevac. It was wild. Um, so that's how the story ended, but yeah, so there's the story. Uh, did did that dude survive? Man, this is why I don't tell the story. We, you know, we had him stable. He died of an infection in a Nairobi uh, uh, hospital, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry I asked that question. Well, kind oh, of, I mean. Um, so, I mean, that's just one of, I'm, I'm sure, countless stories that you have in your experience. I mean, you just described that that's a fucking crazy story that that you just lived like, oh, yeah. That was a shit show. Um, And so I guess where I'm going with that is I imagine that there are other examples of that in a 12-year special operations career. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you left that career. And I'm curious what that was like. I'm sure there was some kind of a transition phase. I'm sure there was anxiety or fear around the next chapter or how to make that decision. I imagine there was a lot of emotional release and grief and processing of all the shit that you just lived through like what was the that that little transition phase like for you
1: yeah so if i'm being completely honest the first time i wanted to get out you know i I started noticing through my career that i had a shifting value system and that like maybe my values weren't super in line with the work in the world that i was doing anymore though it was a cool adventure and and certainly not one i would regret i was also getting to the point where i was like i think i think i'm done and you know the other thing is too is there becomes a point where it's sort of like you're not growing anymore you're kind of on autopilot you're doing the same job and so the most comfortable thing i could do in the world was just keep taking money every 2 weeks is what it felt like but you know, I I did have a lot of fear, and I reenlisted because I had so much fear. Because you know, you, you ask people for advice of what what you should do when you get out. And it's like everyone's like you shouldn't get out; you should stay in where you have comfort. You know, you have the pension, you've got this, the benefits, all the things that people think matter in life. Um, <laughs> and you know, it took me from the time I reenlisted it took me twelve days to regret that decision, and and it was a really immensely valuable lesson because you know, one thing I, I found in that process is like, we all sort of have this internal constitution. And th- the one thing that you cannot do is disobey that. Like if, you're, if your soul is calling you somewhere in life, like, unfortunately, you got to go, you know, like you're being called to a more expansive existence, like you just don't get to stay here. And so anyway, so it was sort of recon- reconciling with that. And then yeah, when it came time to actually So that that put me in for another three years, which I did in the training capacity. So, you know, it's all all stuff that was great that I could use for my life and like had a great experience, but also realizing that I really do have to listen to this voice that's kind of the deepest within me. And then came the struggle of, you know, you get all these job offers, like I got a job offer to just go be a medic for the State Department, like really making the same amount of money and like wouldn't have to take a hit in lifestyle at all. And then reconciling that with like, also I've been that weird kid since like fifth grade that liked to write poetry in my room. And like, how do I tell all of these people that like, not only am I getting out of this job that everyone prizes you for, especially in America, like our nationalism is so high. People like, you know, they, they really have a high opinion of you and you're in the military. Some people do. Um, Certainly my family was that way. And so then to tell them like, well, I'm going to get out and also I'm just going to figure it out as a writer. And like, I, that's where the real struggle for me began. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I remember I was flying years ago somewhere in the Midwest and I had a layover in some airport somewhere. And as we were landing, the flight attendant announced like, Hey, we have two army soldiers on our flight and the whole plane like stood up and clapped. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was in that moment. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like this is a real cultural thing. Like I don't know anything about these two dudes like they could be assholes they could be jerks they could be terrible soldiers but just the the fact that they were a part of this thing part of this unit which like is important to national security and all the rest but like it struck me as this it just it felt weird
1: yeah it's interesting
0: it felt weird to applaud people simply for signing up to do a thing Mm -hmm. um And I don't know where it's going with that story, but perhaps you relate to that in some aspect in that you were no longer feeling aligned with with what you were doing and you had to get out and you were like being called to write poetry and be a writer Um, while at the same time you were in this kind of venerated, socially approved and quasi-worshipped position as a special operations officer. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So what did you do? How did you... How'd you navigate that?
1: Man, I went out in the woods and I got real quiet. <laughs> if <I'm> being honest. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I had a company I had a supplement company. Um, this is just backstory information, but I had a supplement company and a relationship and like, I thought my life was going in one direction. And I think sometimes the universe sort of tears things away from us that just weren't meant for us, you know? And, um, about eight months before I got out, I, I couldn't keep up the facade anymore and so like the company went into the dirt and the relationship ended so before i was getting out of the military i had like eight months out and like the whole life i thought i was getting out for was also gone and a blank canvas is like at one part incredible in the opportunity of a lifetime and one part overwhelming and sheer terror and and so i was like man i i don't know what i'm going to do um other than the fact so i started like you know, I got job offers, like I was talking about, got, got a job offer from another financial company. And, and, and I was like trying to figure out like, what is my damn value? Like, you know, if you don't live in alignment with your value system, like your life just won't have meaning. And that's, that's just a psychological truth. And so um, I started doing work to figure out what I valued. Um, and I went through a couple programs, coaching program type things. And one of them was, um, we went out in the woods for four days with no cell phone. And went through a bunch of kind of dream work type exercises, goal work stuff, like pretty run of the mill stuff. But I remember I'm sitting out there and I asked myself a question because I was so conflicted about taking a job I didn't want to take, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. And I was like, okay. So I asked my question, myself the question, if I could somehow figure it out as a writer and content creator and not have, and I could make the same amount of money, which would I choose? And it was like, obviously I would go choose the thing that like, I'm feeling like my soul is calling me to. So then it was the question of, okay, so then is it just courage for you? Do you not have the courage to go the direction that you want to go? And I was like, yes, I don't have the courage. (laughs) You know, having this conversation with myself and it's like, okay, well then you need a creative angle. Like you need a plan, that's what you need. You need to figure it out. And, And so once I like laid it out black and white for myself like that, I knew that some part of me would never be satisfied to go against the direction of my soul. And so um, I came up with a plan, I built a course off of uh, a bunch of research and material I was writing about and a bunch of coaching work I had done. And um, I got out, went to Australia and wrote that book. Yeah, backpacked and wrote a book. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I started, I I thought in my head, I'm like, I'm going to write, I'm going to go there for a couple months and write this book. Like the book took me two years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's always the perception when, when I talk to people that have not written a book and they have a desire to write the book, you could tell immediately that there is this impression in them that it's like, I'll just sit down and write a book Mm -hmm. like ho-hum, no big deal. It's easy. It's like writing an email. Yeah, and then you talk yeah. to you talk to people who have written a book, and it's this kind of. We talked about this before we started recording, but it's like a different level of respect and acknowledgement. It's like you did that, like fucking right on,
1: proud yeah, of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like going into the forest with an axe and being like, "I'm not going to leave until I make a log cabin." Yeah. It's like well, you don't have the right tools. It's like I know, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'll <laughs> well, figure it time. out, right? Um, it, you know, right as I like got out of the military. I do some ultra endurance type stuff um, and sort of like an ode to service. I ran, I did a 240 mile run while wearing body armor to raise money for this uh, gold star family kind of adventure um, company. Anyway, so I, I do that. And after a lot of people are like, you know, what's next, what's next. And man, after now having completed the book, I was like, well, the, the, the book is next. And now after completing it, I'm like, man, that was an intellectual like feet of endurance that the 240 mile run really can't touch. I mean, they're both hard in different ways, but yeah, I, I, to your point, writing a book, you really have to mind the contents of your soul. And then, then you've got to make it cohesive. <laughs> yeah. You know? Then you have to finish it after it's right. written.
0: I, yeah. I've talked about that previously where, I did a, I did the Camino in Spain. So you like walk across Spain on this pilgrimage and it's, Oh, cool. It's far. And it's like 33 days of hiking and it's, it's tough. I mean, it's it's not easy. And I would do that in a heartbeat. No questions asked if I had to do that or, you know, spend time working on a thesis, like my PhD Mm -hmm. thesis again, it's like, Oh, a hundred percent. I would, I would walk through the pouring rain uphill in cow shit Rather than sit down at a computer and stare at the screen day after day after day,
1: but here you are writing another book,
0: hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, like what am I doing? Like you yeah. would appreciate that. It's like, I do. Ah, but I think it touches on what you said earlier about once you have this epiphany or once you realize what your soul is being called to do. I think it, when you cultivate that knowing, there's this there's this kind of annoyance of like, no, that. Yeah, that's so hard. Ho- I don't, why no? You try to talk yourself out of it, and it's like no. Nope, the soul knows what it wants to know, and it's it knows the path. Um, as an example, last night my girlfriend and I watched a documentary on YouTube about the Pacific Crest Trail. Are you familiar with that? It's like a, yeah, yep. from Mexico up to Canada. And I felt this little soul seed being like, "We should do this." And in my brain, I was like, "No, yeah. no." <laughs> I don't want to do this. And my girlfriend's all excited about it. I'm like, no, no, no. But then part of me is like, this is cool. This feels exciting. Right. Uh, it's, that same, it's that same vibe. Um, but hang on. You very flippantly touched on this idea that you did a 240-mile race wearing body armor?
1: Yeah, run, so, yep. So I'm going to need to know a lot more about that. Yeah, so – um, I yeah, it was interesting, man. It was, um, I ran from Fort Bragg, which is where I went through a medic course in the army, to Virginia Beach, which was like my final duty station. So they call them Gold Star families whenever uh, a service member is like lost overseas. And so this company takes these kids who are part of Gold Star's family, Gold Star families who've lost their uh, parents, and they bring them on adventures and like bring them out into the world, like you know, a parent would do something that like really moved me and having lost friends and, and things, it it, like really spoke to me. And so, yeah, I raised money. I think we, I can't remember. I think we raised like seven or $8,000 for them, which was cool. Like that sent a bunch of kids on adventures. Um, And it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. Like, you know, the thing that I didn't realize is like, I could have raised the same amount of money just by running a hundred miles with no body armor and just talking about it. And the thing about doing 240 in 30 pounds of kit was like, nobody could fathom how different, like they couldn't fathom the dif- difference between a hundred miles and 240. Like we don't really have a lot of reference for what goes on in those final 140, you know? And um, it was interesting. I, I went through like a full ego death out there. Like, I mean, it was a really intense experience psychologically yeah. um, and the whole thing took me 104 hours.
0: Yeah I, I want to hear more about this but just if if you're listening for our metric loving friends uh it's like essentially 9 marathons more or less eight or nine marathons that you're talking about and you ran that in one go like yep yeah so you, you started and then didn't stop until you had run 200 I stopped to
1: sleep um for 20 minutes three different times uh, <laughs> So yeah. yeah, I mean,
0: like, do you acknowledge what a ridiculous thing that is that you've done? Like in the yeah. best way, like to yeah. say, "Oh, I stopped and slept three times for twenty minutes each." Uh, wh- wh- like, why not forty minutes?
1: Right, right. I don't know. Um, but what I'll say <laughs> is, you know, like, I really like am not a plan guy, which is crazy because in the military, everyone thinks like you're the yeah. guy with like the. I had no plan. Um, and in fact. I really dig adventures with no plan, and so I just put it like I went to Fort Bragg, and I literally just put it in my GPS, Virginia Beach, and then I just started running. <laughs> so it brought me and down all these crazy places, and like actually got held up at gunpoint one night. Um, like it, yeah, I had a whole bunch of crazy adventures. Which for people that want to like li- relive it, I put a story in my uh, on my Instagram, so you can like go watch it. But but yeah um went through a whole bunch of wild stuff like that um I do so why it. why did you not plan it like at all i mean i mean i looked at the route on google maps <laughs> right and i like had a bunch of food <laughs>
0: was it was that like um was that just like an egoic decision or was it a conscious decision or was it like a i could do it it's all good no big deal like
1: No, it wasn't that as much as it was like wanting to put my back against the wall in very specific ways. And so like, as an example, I had a crew, right? And so um, I really relied, I had done a lot of, like I did a 205 mile run before in the mountains of Tahoe. And so I had some, I, I knew where I would struggle and so I like built the, event to take away the things that I relied on to get through. So aid stations was something I relied on to get through heavily. So I was like, okay, let's make an event with no aid stations. Um, and then the next year I rode my bike from Maine to North Carolina in the middle of winter, like in December. And when I did it, um, I did it with no crew because I realized on the two hundred and forty mile run how much I had used the crew and like really relied on them for my mental <laughs> well being so yeah. so it was more of designing uh, an event specifically that would test me in like a really tough way
0: and how, how was the experience of running two hundred and forty miles with it because I read that on your website and then it said with a 30 pound vest and in my brain i was like oh come like what the fuck like
1: like and a 30 mile vest like yeah this guy so what was it like what did it teach you um geez i, I probably should have like reread my journal but yeah let me think I, I don't know you know one thing that was very interesting is i really didn't I didn't account for how difficult the vest was actually going to be because it's like every stride then becomes a mini squat, like a a tiny squat. Right. But it's Mm. a little bit more than a stride. And so I would go through times where like I couldn't lift my arms. Um, I would go through times where um, I I was like peeing, like straight rhabdos, like peeing, like just straight motor oil. Somehow I got out of that, which was wild. Um, and then like the whole, a bunch of crazy stuff happened, like getting held up at gunpoint one night in Hampton, Virginia and stuff like that. But then contrasting that with these like incredible experiences of the sun coming up over the fields and, and just feeling like, wow, I get to be a part of this kind of, um, so yeah, it it was like, you got to do the full gamut of human experience. And I'll tell you one thing that was cool about it. I think it was the third day. So I was like. About to make my way back into Virginia, and once you get into Virginia, it was actually pretty short. So most of the run was in North Carolina, um, and and I I hated my life. Like I, I was in the military, and I didn't want to be anymore, you know. And I was like, I let. I mean, for anybody that has grown resentful, you know that that's a a seed that uh, you'll never satiate. You know, it'll just keep growing, and so I was really resentful of like my lot in life and where I had put myself and and everything. So I lost cell phone reception for a better part of that day. And as I crossed back into Virginia, um, let me see. The night before i I got really halluc- i like was hallucinating and I ended up running the wrong direction for a super long way and then I end up having to sleep in a truck stop okay, so then the next morning I get up, collect myself, and I'm starting to run, and I feel i mean I only slept twenty minutes so I feel like I'm put together like with all the wrong parts, you know like my legs are barely moving, and as the sun comes up, I like break into a stride and then I see the sign for Virginia coming up, and then my cell phone gets reception and I get like just tons of messages of people being like cheering for me and donating and like it just brings my spirit up and i have this moment of realizing how excited i am to go back to this place that i had convinced myself that i hated and i had this moment where it was as if my ego had split apart and i was like i cannot wait to get back there and then i like had this moment where it felt as if i looked at my shadow self and i was like you know you're not coming right And it was like i left all of that resentment that I had learned over the years right in that spot and it just stopped and I just kept running. Wild experience, but um, broke through a lot of liberation, yeah.
0: And did it actually work? Like, did you leave that part of you behind when you returned home?
1: Totally, I mean, you know, the thing about shadow work and stuff is these things always creep back in and you're always, you're never there. It's not like Mm. I was self-actualized, right? But but no yeah that you're right it 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 stayed there and i got back in like a completely different place and it felt like it was um as if i had been carrying weight for my entire life like pr- much what you would get in like an ayahuasca experience it felt like i was carrying weight my whole life i didn't know about and i got the opportunity to put it down
0: yeah i mean it's a pretty um it's a pretty accurate metaphor for you were doing you literally put on extra weight that you did not need to carry and ran 240 miles right yeah just to see what happened and then at the end of that race
1: you took it off left it behind and then walked forward just with what you needed totally and what's fascinating about those experiences which i really didn't know at the time is you really can mimic your psychological disposition in the world with physical adversity. Like as long as you can mine it for the right lessons, you know, um, a lot of times people go through really tough things and they think, let me just cut myself off from my body. Let me just like go into Western culture, hustle mode. I'll just go, just go, go, go. It's like, yeah, or you can realize that this is probably going to give you lessons for every single other thing that you do in your life. And so, Um, we always have this idea of when you're going through hell, keep going. And it's like, yeah, maybe, or maybe stop, look around, find out what got you there so that you don't hit the roundabout on your way out and end up back here in two years. Right. Maybe take a 20 minute nap. Right. (laughs) Maybe all you need. Yeah, no, I I love that, man. I've, the way that
0: I've described it is, um, it's like, I do these cold showers in the morning and I hate cold showers and they're never fun. Mm-hmm. But I do them not because of the shower, but because of the lessons that it teaches me about being uncomfortable and choosing to consciously do something that's uncomfortable, right? And then it relates to relationships, it relates to work and writing and all the rest of it. It's like a it's like a hack of sorts, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's like building the internal authority that teaches you that you can do hard things, right?
0: Yeah. And so I wanted to ask you, though, as somebody who has done a tremendous amount um, of, of hard things, somebody who is like an expert in it, you could argue, um, like, what is your philosophy around adversity? Like, how do you approach difficult times or the voices in your head, et cetera?
1: Well, you know, I think one one thing is that there's an immense amount of wisdom in pain. Like I was just saying, stop and look around and figure out like what got me here, right? I think really owning the ways in which you've contributed to the situation that you're in is super important. Um mm. and, and so pain can be an immense can bring an immense amount of wisdom if in fact you can create some objectivity around it. You know, if you are your pain, if it's swallowing your ego and your internal authority, you can't really learn from that. You have to actually create some psychological objectivity so that you can assess it and start to learn from it. And so I think, one, that's really important. Another thing I think, too, though, is we have this idea in Western culture of, like, you can't change me, you know, that, like, obstinate attitude. And actually, I think your life is trying to change you for the better. And so actually, I don't think resistant, I don't think resilience is resisting change. I think it's about learning to flow with change, right? And when you do that, there's a natural transformation that happens from within you. It's not like transformation to me, isn't this idea that you do a bunch of growth work and then you arrive there. It's actually that you learn to get out of the way and allow what's trying to change within you actually take place. And so, approaching life as if it has something to teach you, I think that's the first thing, right? Because a lot of us go through hard things. And we say, I just need to get through this. And I do the same thing. I'm I'm going through like a difficult time in school right now. And I'm like, Oh, just get through this. And then unfortunately, because how you do one thing is how you do everything, your entire life turns into Oh, let me just get through this. And so I really think it's it's about the manner in which you approach these things in the first place.
0: I love that. Um, I think, too, there's this other side of, of what you've described. When when there's a focus of just getting through it, just getting past it, finishing, there's like this avoidance that's happening of your present experience, right? And there's this kind of outsourcing of power, um, this outsourcing of, of like the lessons learned. And, and you're sort of, I guess you're in a roundabout way missing what life's all about. If you're not present to the suck so to speak of like oh no this is how it is like feel it let it in marinate in the suck like don't get through it but like just let it let it mold you what can it teach you right
1: right right because what we do is we cling to what's good and we reject what's bad and so we inevitably find ourselves you know you create a category for good you inadvertently create a category for bad so you're like Mm. i want to be here and i don't want to be there it's like well your life is going to be both f- assuredly and okay. feeling broken is or feeling whole is going to be just as incomplete as feeling broken. And so you're going to go through both. And I think it's the recognition that I think deep down we all crave wholeness. And I think that's why, you know, religious charlatans and marketers can take advantage of the fact that you don't feel complete. And so they're like, Oh, you need this to feel complete. I think that what you actually have to do is surrender to all of your life though. I think we're trying to live fragmented lives and hoping that that gets us toward wholeness. And it's, it's, as you said, a matter of actually just accepting all that your life is trying to offer you. And I, I totally appreciate that that's way easier said than done. But, but I think that's the work, right? There's, there's nowhere to get in this life. And people that live as if there is always end up on the hedonic treadmill.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I often hear this from clients or Instagram messages and things and it's like oh my something happened and i feel blank and i don't know what to do so like my boyfriend left me and i feel terrible and i don't know what to do and i usually just write back feel terrible yeah like, that's it like don't overthink it it's supposed you're doing to do the human thing now <laughs> your, your boyfriend left you that's really hard that's yeah. gonna feel terrible like mm-hmm. you're doing it right totally you know, and I, I think that relates to what you just said there which is you know it's about wholeness rather than happiness right it's like you've got to take the full spectrum and try to be okay with being that uh, right do you have any like self like how do you do that like what is the self-talk that you use
1: yeah i think that it's really a matter of as i said like i'm going through a tough time in school right now a ton of essays do and midterms and all this and i find myself falling into this like just Cut it off and just do it, whatever. Um, and then having the, the talk with myself of like, but is that the life that you want? Like, is that, do you want this life of just do it or do you want to be the kind of person that tries to appreciate where you are? So I, I dialogue with things. This is something I got from my fiance, um, Danielle McGuinness, who, uh, is a, she's studying depth psychology. And there's an idea in there that your personality has all of these different, personas within it. Like there's a million different versions of you, which most people can understand. Um, But one thing that's interesting is I'm starting to dialogue with those parts of myself. So the the tyrannical part of myself, that's like always bashing me for falling short of my own ideal. I'm like, well, I'll start to dialogue with it in journaling practices. And like, what do you want? Like, what's the end state here? Where's this all going? And then back and forth, you realize how many parts of your life aren't really, I mean, you can fear them, or you can understand them and if you start to understand them it starts to release some of the power that they have over you. So that's been a huge practice of mine lately.
0: Yeah, I love that. I remember um you just reminded me of this story when I was doing my thesis and I was having a hard time and I was in the cubicle and I you know was really burnt out and hated my life and stuff. One of these guys that I work with, this professor was like uh he said something like don't forget you used to dream about this. Mm. I was like, oh, shit, you just, you just fucked me up there. Of like, I, I dreamed about doing my PhD. I dreamed about writing a thesis. I dreamed about having a cubicle in this government building. Like, I dreamed about it. What I forgot was just the, the other stuff that goes with it, which is the monotony and the boredom and the frustration. It's like a package deal that I right. failed to visualize at the time. Right. And so same for you. It was like you you dreamed about doing a, a master's
1: program. It's like,
0: oh, yeah, well, that means you have to write a bunch of papers and, <laughs> you know, get stressed out.
1: Totally. But we live with this like Peter Pan syndrome, right, where it's yeah. like we want to we're in <laughs> perpetual fantasy. And like when our life actually comes calling and demanding that we do the work, it's like oh, the fantasy was great. Yeah. It's
0: yeah. like, oh, no, it, it's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be like my fantasy world, uh, right? I know better than the universe how my life is supposed to be. Like, oh, this master's degree is supposed to be super easy. That's why everybody has one. no. Oh, they don't. Shit. Yeah, I see it. Same with the special forces stuff. I imagine is, it's like there are, there are levels to, to growth, and you need to put in, that amount of effort if you want to obtain the thing that few people, obtain, right.
1: Yeah, totally. And then I think there's a process, too, of just letting go of your expectations, right? Because you have these expectations of what it's going to be like. And when you do that, you give life about a billion ways to let you down and only one way to satisfy you. And like life didn't agree to your terms. And so now you've put yourself in a situation in which you're suffering because of, because of yourself, because of what you wanted. Yeah, just unnecessarily, right? Unnecessarily, right.
0: Um, do you have... You mentioned journaling. Do you have other kind of practices or rituals that you use to like optimize your life or to become a better human?
1: I meditate a lot. Um, I I know that if people don't meditate, then I know the struggle of like trying to become someone that meditates because that struggle was real for me for a long time. And I think that the, um, I think that like Headspace and some of the guided meditations can, can certainly help push you through that. Um, but no, I, I do. I spend a lot of time in meditation and prayer every day. Um, I journal and um, I walk a lot too. I mean, I, I walk a ton, like sit down and read or write, but then I always walk to process afterward.
0: And so just to clarify, when you say you, you walk a ton or that you do a lot of meditation, like approximately what does that look like?
1: Um, it looks like it's flowing with my life depending on the demands, but I mean, I, I walk, I mean, legit between seven and 10 miles every day. Um, because I I essentially just can't keep my mind going any other way. Like, I don't know if you found that in your doctoral program, but like, I can only think really hard for about two or three hours and then I've got to like get some space. Um, Mm -hmm. so my day looks like me like doing a lot of intellectually rigorous work, but then walking and just like listening to Alan Watts and not doing, you know, just kind of like letting my mind just go back into that fantasy place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I meditate um, quite a bit too, I mean, a good hour every day, yeah.
0: know. Like in the morning, in the evening?
1: In the morning. Yeah. I, I've never been a morning routine person. I don't like to be the kind of person that recommends them because again, when I couldn't, when I didn't have one and I'd hear people about these lengthy morning routines, I would just be like, that sounds stupid. Um, but it really does anchor my day. And so I, I, every single, you know, every single morning I do what's called morning pages, which is like three pages of free flow journaling stream of consciousness style. And then, um, I pick some wisdom text and I'll read it and do like a spiritual reading. And then I meditate for about an hour. Yeah. And then I start my day. Do
0: you do a guided meditation? Or are you sitting in silence or with an intention or?
1: Yeah, that's why why I always will read like some wisdom text and I'll end up just sort of letting my you know letting my soul kind of guide me and find either a verse or a passage or something. Um and I and I practice uh letting go. Like I practice letting go of thoughts because what happens is you read something and then you've got all kinds of opinions about it which are probably not that great. Um and so the first 30 minutes is always really tough as I'm letting go of all of the thoughts that are coming in in response to this. And if I can't let them go, like if I can't seem to clear my mind, I'll go back to the journal and I'll write all the things I'm letting go. And that seems to help. Um, and then I'll uh, I meditate on on the wisdom text, Yeah, because we really prize knowledge in our society, which is like something like contextual intelligence, but we don't prize wisdom whatsoever. And so it's just something that I found amazingly like all these texts are written thousands of years ago and are directly relevant to the human things we're struggling with today so Mm. how do you differentiate knowledge and wisdom i think that uh knowledge is again contextual right so it's set within a certain amount of certain parameters it's like you you understand things within a parameters iq is a good way to um Mm. measure that and then wisdom has this discerning element it's like it doesn't matter where it's put you can discern what needs to happen within the context of what you're doing and so wisdom feels like the echo of what's always been true whereas like intelligence or knowledge seems to be true for what we're talking about right now in this moment
0: hang on you need to repeat that line wisdom seems like the echo of what's always been true
1: yeah that's good yeah that's what it feels like to me
0: that's you should write that down and put your name on that. Is that sure. yours? <laughs> yeah, that is mine. Yeah. That's yeah. good, man. I, I always if I was if you were my girlfriend and we were going for a walk and I often do this with her, I'll be like, you have a week to use that line, or else I'm putting my name on it and you're gonna see it on Instagram. Like okay. <laughs> I'll put it on Instagram. No, I, I love that. Um because some of the some of the dumbest people I've met have have PhDs, for example. Mm. Like they're very smart. They know everything about this particular niche in life, and they can't hold a conversation. Like it's like pulling teeth trying to get like, how do you feel?" It's like, what? I don't feel I don't feel anything. All right? right? So there's this distinguishing element between kind of knowing something and then applying it in the utilitarian manner with which
1: um, in the ways that you live your life, right? Totally. And I think that's discernment. I think right. that that's the element that you need there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard that it's the echo of uh, what's always been true. It's right. is the way that I've described it uh, before.
1: Well, truth is an interesting thing, right? Cause we, I mean, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole cause it doesn't end. I, I sat down <laughs> to write a book on truth and I, I did it for about two months and I was like, we're done with this. Um, but, but it's important to understand that like what's emerging as the truth in culture um isn't always necessarily what's always been true. And I think we tend to look at ancient people and we think, man, we're so much better than them because of all of our technology. Um, but they were tapped into their humanity in a way that I think we're nece- not necessarily. Um, and so, yeah, just, just recognizing that people have been cracking away at this human thing for a super long time yeah. and the world hasn't always been the way it is now. And so to just pull from there, you know, to try to just discern the underlying patterns of reality, which is pretty much what wisdom's echoing. I think Mm -hmm. that that's, that's what's true. And that's what, if you could live in alignment with that, you'd find that it, the the clutter from today's, you know, garbage political climate and all of that kind of, you can kind of get through all of it.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the benefits of meditation is, is simply cultivating an awareness. Um, this idea of uh, be still and listen to God is the way I've heard it described. It's like, get still, let the other, let let everything just wash off of you. All the superfluous excess, the distraction, like what actually matters to you in your life in this moment, but also day to day, right? And it's it's a way that I've found to be really helpful in terms of sort of developing that discernment. Like, oh my God, that doesn't matter at all. And this other thing that really does matter, I've been neglecting. I've been um, taking for granted. I haven't been appreciating. Right. And so I think that's a, that's a powerful one. And then I was curious when you go for your seven to 10 mile walks, um, do you have like a particular loop that you do? Do you have a intention to listen to a podcast or are you just like, I got to move I'm going.
1: Yeah. Colorado is wonderful. And that all of the, a lot of the suburban areas are connected by what's called open spaces. And they're like these trail systems. Um, and you can really go anywhere just jumping from open space to open space. And so we have one next to our house, which is like a three-mile loop. And so I'll walk that like three or four times a day, um, essentially what I do, yeah. And and so sometimes I listen to podcasts or audiobooks and then... Uh, Other times, I'm like, I really need to just listen to the birds and like shut up and, you know, not put anything, nothing else is fitting inside here. So I need to, yeah. um, Because I I think people have this idea of meditation that it's got to be sitting on your mat. And I think that that's great. But there's, I think it's great to also, you can walk and meditate for sure.
0: Yeah. I remember I was in Bali a couple years ago and talking to this very mystical psychic palm reading woman. And I asked her about meditation and, and I was like, like, when do you meditate? And she just kind of smiled that wise smile. And it's like all the time. It's mm-hmm. like,
1: ah, you, you, yeah.
0: cl- you clever woman.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know, something too, that's really great is you'd, you'd asked me like about going through adversity and I talked about creating objectivity and that is what meditation gives you It, you can imagine that most people think that they are their thoughts. That's why we say, I am angry. And, and what meditation does is it allows you to pull your awareness behind the thought pattern and actually just look at it. And that's the thing that got me really into meditating. I had been cracking away at it like for four months or something. I woke up in a bad mood and I was out to lunch and I was like just projecting my bad mood on my friends and I realized it, right? Like I had the full recognition of like asking myself like, What's going on with you right now, man? Like, where, where's your head at? Like, why are you so butthurt right now? And just the recognition that you're not what you're going through, you don't have to like act on every thought that you get. That's what meditation, I think, gives you. You can step back from your thought process and discern is this thought even serving me or not?
0: Yeah, it's a way of uh, building a bit of separation. Totally. Like, why am I doing this? What's going on right now? Um, we haven't touched on your new book, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache. Do you have anything to say about that? What's it about? What's the what's the pitch?
1: Yeah. The, the two-second thing is – it's not going to be two seconds, but the, the short answer is that you – I think in life we get a lot of um, – We get a lot of narratives given to us about what it means to be here and how you are successful here and what you have to do to be successful. And we form all of these models of reality in in order to make ourselves comfortable and safe and successful. And then we get there and sometimes we just ask ourselves, like, is this really it? Like... The the happy ending is like never the end of the story like it is in movies. And so then how do you deal with how you're actually feeling when you arrive somewhere and it's not what you thought it was going to be? And that's the the underlying um, sort of thesis in the book. And the way that I break that down is through what's called the hero's journey. And so the hero's journey is like the underlying structure in every story. We actually talked about it a little bit at the beginning where – You said, you know, you get the call, this always happens, the hero gets the call and then there's a denial of the call. And so before they head on the adventure, there's always a denial of the call. Um, And so what I did is I, I took that hero's journey and realized that it could be applied to your psyche. It could be a way of managing your psychological wellness. And so that's the way that I lay the book out and sort of drive at these points.
0: Yeah, and so you do that from your own individual growth perspective?
1: Yep. Yep. I did. I researched a lot. So there's a lot of psychology in the book, like psychological principles I would say are used in the book. And then those are backed up with like anecdotes and stories from my own life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sounds good, man. And, um, what's next for you? Like, What's the next edge or what's the next soul call? So to speak.
1: Yeah. I think I'll always be writing books. Um, to some degree, unfortunately, just feels like the sword I picked <laughs> up, um, you know, but I also am um, kind of in line with what we've been talking about here with the special forces experience. I've been designing a um, course called the art of adversity, which takes a whole bunch of coaches and not just myself, but other cadre from this uh, company. And we are, we've created like an immersive experience. So it's like a six week on-ramp five-day in-person retreat and then a six-week integration phase. And it's all built around the principles of post-traumatic growth. Um, So how do you go into adverse situations and actually learn from them, grow from them, make them work for you instead of becoming a victim to them your entire life? Obviously, something that I've had a lot of experience with in the military. And so, um, yeah, I'm super excited about like democratizing these tools and making them available to people because – the VA system and the, the talk therapy. And a lot of these things are just not, you know, these, but these things work until they don't. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: I'm excited about that.
0: Well, Rick, thanks so much for sharing an hour of your life with me and, um, and doing what you do, man. I think it's inspiring and important and uh, I'm glad you've, you've chosen this path as rambling and wandering as it's been,
1: man. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Fun, right? That story about crawling through the forest of Kenya for hours towards an airplane crash? What the heck? That was Rick Alexander. You can find him on Instagram. He also has a podcast called Morning Coffee with Rick Alexander. I'll include links to all of that stuff in the show notes. You can check out his book as well ambitious heroes and heartache yeah good dude i'm glad you listened to it and i'm glad you're here thank you for the support you can find me on the internet at long distance love bombs i've got a book i got an instagram and i'm happy you're here thanks for joining us and uh thanks for the five star reviews thanks for the messages of support thanks for sharing this with your community with your loved ones it does make a difference and i really do sincerely appreciate you